morning rogers park is it warm back there everyone is sitting in the back <laughs> just kidding my name is shine gidla i'm a church planting partner here at park working alongside phil adams and glam in devon planting home churches uh, so and it's my privilege today to bring god's word to you uh, if you are coming here for the first time we are going through a series called explore god where we have been uh seeking answers for seven important questions few weeks ago uh Jamie preached on is there meaning to life and last week Phil preached on the question is there a god and Phil ended saying this yes there is a god who loves us and cares for us and today i want to answer the third question in the series why does god allow pain and suffering oh they gave me the easiest one as i'll be preaching uh, if you have any questions which you would like to answer uh, you can text ask rp and send your questions to 62953 and we'll try our best to answer them after the sermon so let's start this story happened in florida a guy was working on his motorcycle on his patio uh, he was trying to rev the engine uh somehow the motorcycle slipped into gear and before he knew what was happening the motorcycle went right into the patio window dragging him inside hearing the noises his wife came into the dining room she saw her husband on the floor glass and blood all over him she called 911 the crew came they took the man and took him to the hospital and then the wife was left at home so she started cleaning the mess she started taking the broken parts of the motorcycle and she used some paper towels to clean the gas and for some reason she took the paper towels and dropped it in the toilet few hours passed by the man came back home from the hospital he saw the motorcycle he was upset so he went uh, to the bathroom he sat on his toilet and he lit a cigarette and after he finished smoking the cigarette he flipped it between his legs into the toilet bowl <sighs> there was fire the wife again ran and came inside saw her husband all burnt she called 911 again the same crew showed up so the crew went upstairs placed the man on the stretcher and they were bringing him down on the steps and when they were bringing him down the steps one of the guy in the crew asked the wife what happened and the wife started sharing what happened and this guy started laughing and he tipped the stretcher and our poor burnt friend fell on the stairs and it broke his leg have you had days like this we all laugh at this humorous story we all laugh at this guy's pain but typically that's not our response to pain and suffering our response is completely opposite abby was a student who was going to seminary she had the passion to go to a different country as a missionary she went to seminary to study god's word and she graduated and after graduation she married a guy was already in missions and after some time they both left to a different country to do missions 
Time passed by, she got pregnant, and as part of her regular medical checkup, she went to the hospital. And one day, the doctor said, the baby has a heart issue. And then again, time passed by, and when Abby was at 31 weeks, there was an emergency. She went to the hospital, and the doctor said, we need to deliver the baby now, and the chances of baby surviving are very less. And they were in a country where the medical facilities were not that good. So they had to wait for 24 hours to go into a different country. And then the time passed by, they reached to a different country, and the doctors do the operation. The baby was born, but after two minutes, the baby dies. Prashant was a bright student. He graduated from engineering, and he got a very good job. He wanted to celebrate it with his friends, so he went on a trip with his friends. He went to a place where there was beautiful waterfalls, and he was having fun with his friends there, and all of a sudden, he slipped and fell into the water, and he died. What are the, what's the point I'm trying to make from these stories? I'm not trying to say it is unique to me. By the way, these two people are people whom I know personally. I suspect if I had time this morning, if I went from every chair to chair to chair to chair, you all could share different stories of suffering. What's the point I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to say these stories or these sufferings are unique to me. No, they are typical to every one of us. We all suffer. To live is to suffer. And one more thing, the examples which I use, both those peoples are very strong believers. In fact, one of them gave their life to God, to serve God. And that raises the question to them, why does God allow these things? Why in the world, in the providence of God, allow such things to happen to his people? That's the question which you and I ask. Why does God allow pain and suffering? And that's the question not just you and me ask, but even the person in the Bible asks. And his name is Job. And when you look at the book of Job, the text states that he's a righteous man, he's a blameless man. He was a very wealthy man. He had 10 children, and he was blameless and righteous. But one day, he loses all his wealth. On top of it, he also loses 10 of his children whom he loves. On top of it, he also loses his health. And then he cries out to God, God, why? Why do you allow this suffering to me? So today, this, this morning, I would like us to look at a few passages from the book of Job. First of all, I would like us to look at a passage which represents Job's cry. And then I would like to look at a passage in how God responds to his cry. And then in the end, I would like to look at the end of the book. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Job chapter 30. Job chapter 30, verses 20. 
Job says, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. Job is saying, God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. The imagery here is, God, I plead with you, but the only thing you do is you just look at me. Have you ever pleaded with someone and they just stand there and stare at you? That's what Job is saying. That's what Job is saying. God is doing that to me. And then look, look at verse 22. You snatch me up and dry me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. Job is saying, Lord, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. I cry out to you more, the things get more worse. And then look at verse 23. He says, I know you'll bring me down to that, to the place appointed for all living. Job says, God, yes, I know that I will die. But he's saying, bring it quick to me. Bring it over. I don't want to live. I, wa- I want to die. And then he says in verse 24, Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. You and me can keep it, say this in this way. You don't kick a man when he's down. And Job is saying, God, that's what you're doing to me. And then he says in verse 25, Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. Job is saying, God, I helped the poor. I helped your people when they were in affliction. And when I expected good from you, I received evil. And then he says in verse 27, The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My light is turned to mourning, and my pipe to the sound of wailing. In verse 29, he says, I have become a brother of jackals and a companion of owls. These two animals represent solitary. Job is saying, I'm like them. I'm alone and I'm isolated. He's saying, God, I cry out to you. It's not just you who don't answer me. Even your people don't care for me. No one is there for me. Why is no one there with Job? Because the people around Job, they believe that Job did something wrong. He sinned against God, and that's the reason he's suffering. Let me make one point here. That's not my main point. If you only remember one point, wait for the next main point, which I'm going to share. But this one is for free. And the point is, righteousness is no hedge against suffering. There might be people outside this building. There might be people outside who might say, if you're right with God, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and everything will be good with you. I have never understand how these people can make sense of the cross. Righteousness is no hedge against suffering. What these people say is not true. So what happened? Job cries out to God. 
He says, God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer. I plead with you, but you just stare back at me. I know that I'll go, I'm going to die. Please get it over quick. God, it's not just you. You, you don't answer me. Even your people don't care me. And underneath the cry of Job lies the question, why? Why, God, why do you allow me to suffer? And now, with the rest of the time, I would like to look at God's response to his cry. So please turn with, chap turn with me to chapter 38, where God responds to Job. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Now look at chapter 40 from verses 6. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. So let's come back and see what's happening. Job cries out to God in his suffering, in the midst of suffering. And given that he was righteous and blameless and all that he endured in his suffering, he asks, God, give me a reason, give me an answer. And this is how God responds. To be honest, when I first read this text, I was cringed. God, this is how you answer? Don't you think it's a little bit of harsh? Job is suffering, and then you respond in this way. What's the point God is trying to make? What is he teaching us here? And I think this is the point God is trying to make. And I believe this is the point because Job understands it. He understands it, which we will see later in chapter 42. But what's the point God is trying to say here? What is God teaching to us? Job cries out. He says, God, give me an answer. And God answers. And before answering, he says, Job, you want me to give me an answer? But before me giving you a reason, let me ask you a few questions. He asked Job, Job, where, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job says, I don't know, Lord. God asks, can you make the proud man humble? No, Lord. God keeps on going, asking questions. He asks 80 questions. And then Job gets the lessons on cosmology, uh, oceanography, uh, astronomy. He gets free lessons on all ologies. 
And then God says, can you answer these questions? And then Job says, no. And this is the point God is trying to make. God says, Job, you don't understand those things. What makes you think that you can understand this? You don't understand those things. What makes you think if I give you an answer, you can understand that? So just trust me. Job cries out to God, asking for an answer. God responds. He doesn't give an answer, but he offers a relationship. And he asks him to trust him. The Judeo-Christian worldview is the only worldview where the experience of the living God and his grace is given to us in a relationship which he offers to us. Sometimes the answers are beyond propositional. Therefore, the answer comes in a relationship. God responds to Job's cry, not with an answer, but with a relationship. God doesn't stand back and say, here is the answer, Job, for your suffering. He steps into our suffering. Jesus steps into our suffering. He understands what it means to be betrayed. Jesus understands what it means to lose the one whom you love the most. Jesus understands what it means to be alone. Jesus understands what it means to be poor. Jesus understands what it means to experience physical pain. Jesus doesn't step back. He, he comes into your suffering. He is with you in your suffering. He comforts you in your suffering. Look at Job chapter 42, verse 2 to 3. You see how Job responds to God. He says, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And look at verse 5 clearly, what he says. He says, my ears had heard of you, but my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's the response of Job. He understands that his knowledge is limited. And you, when you keep reading the book of Job, Job's story doesn't end with suffering. And yours and my story also doesn't end with suffering. Our story began in Genesis 1, where God created everything which was perfect. Everything was good. And in Genesis 3, God gave humans free will so that they can love God out of their free will. And men decided to choose what is right for themselves. And they disobeyed God. And then sin 
and suffering entered into this world. God did not leave us there when sin and suffering entered the world. He was so gracious. He loved us so much that he came behind us. He came seeking us. The first question which he asked when Adam and Eve go and hide themselves, he asked, where are you? He came behind us seeking us. And ultimately, he stepped into our suffering. Jesus came to this world, took our sin on him. He took our suffering and he died on the cross for us. And he gave us eternal life. And do you know how our story ends? Revelation chapter 21, 4 says, he will wipe out every tear. There will no longer be death, no mourning, no crying, no pain at all. That's how our story ends. That's the hope which we have in Christ. And in the meantime, when we travel this life, when we suffer, he gives us his grace to us. And he uses the suffering to refine us. And he uses the suffering for our good. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things together for good for those who love him and for his purposes. As we walk in this life, God gives us his grace when we suffer. Annie Johnston Flint was a beautiful hymn writer. She suffered a lot in her life. She had cancer inside her body. And when she was about to die, she wrote a beautiful hymn which says, He giveth more grace when our burdens go greater. He added more strength when our uh, when our troubles increase. He added his mercy when our trials increase. He multiplied his grace when our trials multiply. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength fails, when we have reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's giving has only just begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto man. And out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. The grace of God, the grace of God that sustains you will be the testimony that will lead you to that glorious day. Roger Spark to be honest, if you look at the question today, this morning, why does God allow suffering? To be honest, we don't know the complete answer. But we know by his grace and his mercy, we know him, which is more than enough. So what can we do? I would like us to do one thing to remind this, we all have our mobile phones. 
We all use them. We always stare at them. So I want us to change our mobile wallpaper. I want us to keep the response of Job as our mobile wallpapers or screensavers. I want us to keep Job chapter 40, verse 2 and 3 as our mobile wallpaper or keep it in our home as a verse on our wall just to remind ourselves that we do not understand everything, but God is sovereign. His control of everything. His wisdom is beyond all of us. So I want us to keep this as our wallpaper, just as a reminder to trust in God, that even though when we don't have all the answers to pain and suffering, we can still trust in God. Rogers Park, we have a God who is sovereign, whose wisdom far exists than all of our wisdom, who offers relationship to us, who offers himself as the answer to pain and suffering, who gives us hope and joy even in the midst of suffering in him. So let's trust him as we walk this life and look at look forward for that glorious day now it's our time to answer the questions which you guys send us uh, i have phil adams and jamie with me they are in the teaching team and they'll help me as we try to answer these questions which you have sent us so let's look at the first one uh, the first one says, how do I praise God and even tell others about him without pretending everything is okay? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, how do I praise God and tell others about him without pretending everything's okay? I think one of the beautiful, most beautiful things in our Bible is if you look through the, the book of Psalms um, and you read the, the poetry and the singing there and what you'll find is complete honesty. Um, you'll find... Uh, the psalmist and David coming to God and, 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 and saying what he's struggling with. And he's saying, God, I don't feel you. I don't see you. Where are you? And he brings that to God. Um, and yet it's, a, it's amidst that his, his honesty brings his, his pain, but his honesty also brings his praise. Because um, no matter how much pain he feels, there's, he still sees something in God to give thanks for and praise. Um, so I would encourage you, if you're, that's in, you're in that place, to read through those psalms, and you will find words for yourself to, to pray and to sing um, to God in that moment. To tell others, you know, one of the things in our um, culture and society right now that is just such a high value is authenticity um, and telling people where you're at and what you're struggling with. So even with your non-believing friends, you can, you can bring your um, angst and your struggles to them and say, this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm pleading with God um, for. And they will see something beautiful in that, and honest and authentic. Um, and just also just to remind you that that is where you're at, to, to find believers and to be in community in a small group and bring um, your struggles to them as well. Second one, how does allowing suffering in our lives not make God evil? Um, so I, I want to answer this from uh, two different vantage points, one kind of a philosophical and the other from maybe more a pastoral approach. Uh, philosophically, 
this, this question is related, it's along the lines of what's often called the inconsistent triad. Um, so th three principles, uh, God is good, um, God is all-powerful, and um, evil exists, suffering exists. And it's been said philosophically that those three points are inconsistent with one another. If God is good and all-powerful, he, he wouldn't allow evil and suffering to exist. But he does. We see evil and suffering, and so therefore God, God can't exist or God can't be good and all-powerful. Um, from a philosophical standpoint, uh, if, if you want to dig into this more, there's a philosopher named Alvin Plantinga who teaches at Notre Dame. And Alvin Plantinga has written a book uh, called The Problem of Evil. And his response, his, uh, what he says in there has been, it's, it's kind of the standard uh, answer to the inconsistent triad. And, and so in debates, uh, like secular or atheist philosophers will, will if, if, they, if they know better, uh, they won't bring up the inconsistent triad because they'll get knocked down by Plantinga's argument. So what he says essentially is um, free will is, is the answer. To, to say that uh, God couldn't, couldn't have a good purpose for evil or suffering in our lives is to assume that you know every possible outcome that could ever possibly happen from any kind of evil or suffering that, that happens in the world and that none of it could, be, could outweigh the bad that happens from it. Like, you'd have to have all knowledge. You'd have to be so sovereign and so uh, all omniscient that, that you know without a doubt that no good could ever come from evil and suffering. And Plantinga says, like, that, that's absurd. You, you, you can't possibly have that knowledge. And because people have free will to choose, um, God, God gives us the freedom to make real choices in life. Sometimes we're going to choose bad. We're going to choose evil. But the good that outweighs... Uh, the, the, the good that comes from our freedom to choose outweighs the bad. Okay, so that's a, a rough, a, a rough uh, overview of, of Plantinga's argument, but I'd encourage you to, to look at that a little more if you're from a philosophical standpoint. Pastorally, I think we all know kind of what I was just talking about. If you look at your life, every one of us can see different bad things that have happened in our lives, moments of suffering that have in some way or another turned out for something good. Now, that, that, that isn't to say that every single bad thing that's happened in your life has always turned out for good, but you can see instances. And as a parent, like, as a dad, like, I'm going to allow some suffering to happen in my kids' lives because of the good that comes from it, because of the shaping that takes place through the hard things that come. And so, uh, pastorally, I'd say we, you know, rely on that, look at that, look at the good that sometimes comes from the evil. Um, and that's how, how we can know that God is not evil, that he, he wants the best for us. Yeah, to add to that, uh, as I mentioned in my sermon, like sin and suffering entered in Genesis 3, and God just did not allow suffering, like, hey, you guys suffer. He entered into the suffering, and he's going to redeem it, and in the future, he's going to take away that suffering. So God uh, doesn't say he, he doesn't allow suffering just for us. He steps into that suffering, and he gives his grace, and he uses it for our good, too. Uh, third one, what should I do if I have been in a period of suffering for a long time? How can I best support a friend who has been suffering for a long time? If you look at the book of Job, uh, the friends of Job come to him when he suffers. And the best thing they do is they remain silent for a few days. I think that's the best thing they do. After that, they keep talking 
bad things, but the best thing they do is they remain silent. That's a good start. Like when someone is suffering uh, for a long time, a good place to start is just go and be with them. Just don't talk anything, just listen to them, be with them. I think that's a very good uh, start. And then as, as God gives himself as the answer, like he gives a relationship, I feel like we need to be in their lives. We need to have relationship with one another. As we need to walk with them as they suffer. So we need to care for them and love for them. So that's how I think we need to allow and care for someone when they're in suffering. So those are two like good things to do. Next one, the story of Job makes sense of pain from Job's perspective, but what about the view from the one of Job's children? Do people die and suffer to teach others a lesson? Yeah. Um, you bring up children suffering, and I'm always going to start by saying I don't know. Um, there's a million perspectives um, of suffering all around the world endless perspectives of suffering um, and they're always going to get us right in the heart <laughs> and make us feel like God how can this happen um, if we back up a little bit uh, one of the things that maybe helps me is just to um, categorize a little more broadly and acknowledge that we're all suffering and on our way to death um, that's, that's the reality. The reality is um, a million perspectives of suffering that add up to a world that's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly broken. Um, and then we're just stuck back at the question that we had this morning. Why would God allow pain and why would God allow suffering? Um, and I think Shine did an incredible job this morning of just pointing out that God, um, we are trusting in a God that is so big. Um, and we have to hold on to his character um, and say God is entirely good and yet God is entirely sovereign um, and how those two things mesh together sometimes we're we're kind of we're kind of lost um, but we know that he meets us there and we know that the one thing that we cannot say of God that he's indifferent because of the cross um, he is not indifferent um, he came and he died on a cross um, for all of those million perspectives of pain um, to redeem this broken world why he's taking so long I don't know um, Next one. How do you explain suffering, pain, and injustice to someone who doesn't already have belief and relationship with God or hope that all things will be made new in the future? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, suffering is a fact of human existence. Everyone who's ever lived has experienced suffering. And so everyone has to have some sort of answer to this question. Like, how, how do you explain suffering, pain, and injustice? Um, and so the first thing that I would do, when someone, if someone asks me that question who's coming from a, a secular perspective or from some other religious perspective, first thing that I'll do is I'll, I'd turn the question back to them. I'd say, how do you explain it? What do you do with it? Because all of us have to face that reality. And then the second step in that would be to say, okay, well, let's look at the different options for explaining uh, evil, suffering, injustice, pain. Okay, one, uh, assume there is no God. Well, as uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson famously put it, well, nature is red in tooth and claw. Animals eat each other. They destroy each other. 
That's just the way that the natural world is. And so suffering, it's just a bare fact of life. Better get used to it, and then someday you're going to die. There's no hope. There's no end to it. It's just this life is full of pain, and then they put you in a box, and that's where you spend forever. You rot. That's life. If there is no God, that's, that's your answer to evil and suffering. Deal with it. So that's one option. Um, the other option, you can look at other different religious traditions and what they offer. In uh, Buddhism, for example, Buddhism, the, Buddhism doesn't believe necessarily in a, a god or gods. Um, and so uh, in, Buddhist, in Buddhism, suffering is explained by um, our problem of attaching ourselves to the wrong things. We, we care too much about things. And so what Buddhism says is, well, you, you need to actually care less about things. You, you need to, uh, to cut your attachments. And the less you desire things, then the more you can enter into the state of nirvana and you can experience release and freedom from the suffering of this world. So suffering is really an illusion that's brought on by your attachments. It's not real. It, it's something that happens because you are too attached to stuff. Well, for me, that, that's not very satisfying because uh, I, I, think, I think these attachments are real. The people I care about who are suffering, that's real. And so Buddhism doesn't really satisfy me on that one. And then if you look at other religions, if you look at, say, uh, Islam or Judaism, um, th there's a God who, who, who cares, who exists, but nothing, no other religious tradition offers what Christianity offers on that. Only Christianity offers you a God who actually enters into the world, who has experienced suffering, who knows what it's like. I think of Jesus when uh, his friend Lazarus dies, and he goes and he's with, with Lazarus' sisters, and he's, he weeps for Lazarus. And the word for weep is actually a word, it means that Jesus got angry about it. Jesus was ticked off because of the suffering and the evil in the world. He cared about this stuff. He felt it. He knew what it was like to lose a friend. And so we have a God, Christianity offers you a God who gets it, who knows what it's like to suffer. And who not only gets it, but who then goes to a cross, who takes it upon himself, who resurrects, who comes back to life and defeats evil and suffering. And who one day promises to make all things new, to wipe away every tear, like Shine said. And so Christianity, in my view, if you look at the different options, you've got to deal with this question. You've got to answer this question. Everybody has to have an answer. And as you look at the different options, Christianity offers you a way better holistic answer than anything else is going to offer you. 